Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy. The way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. The ballot is right at the voter's eye level, easily read. I found this old promotional video for one of the automatic voting machines that was rolled out in the 50s. And all officers and all candidates are at the same eye level. No candidate suffers by being placed in an unfavorable position. The machine itself is kind of bizarre looking and frankly does not look all that simple. But in order to sell it... A large number of voters who are disenfranchised every year at the paper ballot type polls by making mistakes. They compare it to paper ballots. Busy people often, by habit, make check marks on the ballot in states where X's are required. And it's just voter after voter. They might as well have stayed home. That vote is a no vote. Doesn't count. Illegal. And I'm watching this thing and thinking... Don't, lady. Uh-uh. It doesn't count. Well... awful lot like voting in America today. Good try, sir. But this ballot will be thrown out. For the first time in a presidential election, nine more states are enforcing new laws requiring eligible voters to present a government-issued photo ID at the polls. Critics point out that there have been few instances of voter fraud in the U.S. and that in Texas, where the state once blocked African Americans and Hispanics from voting, it's more important to encourage voter participation. As we've already seen in the primary season, the right of the black man and woman to vote is still not a guarantee. Laws across the U.S. are being passed to make it harder, not easier, to vote. This is the only advanced democracy on earth that goes, goes out of its way to make it difficult for people to vote. I was at a few BLM protests and you know, at these protests, I get really curious and I ask people, you know, you're really upset, are you going to vote? This is Nazita Lejavardi. I am a lawyer and also a political scientist. I teach at Michigan State University. I teach political science, uh, mostly focusing on American politics, uh, studying how racial and ethnic groups uh, fare in American democracy, whether or not they're facing discrimination, um, the extent to which they are represented, um, and also how they perceive uh, their inclusion in American democracy. So Nazita's at a Black Lives Matter protest in 2020, and she goes up to some of the protesters who are obviously interested in making a difference in society, and she asks them, What are you going to do? Like, tell me what you're going to do. And they're like, no, we're not going to vote. And I ask them, you know, why? <laughs> you're here. You're spending your time on a Tuesday morning, you know? What are you doing here? And they say, you know, Bernie isn't running. 
If Bernie comes back, then we'll vote. I've been hearing this a lot. You've got people who just don't see what they want in the candidate pool, so they're just not going to vote. And it has nothing to do with them not caring. It's just they don't feel like they have good choices. And so then you have to understand, like, you know, you may not agree with the politics, but what they want is a different vision of America. They want a different vision of this world. Whatever game we're playing is not representative of their interests, or at least what they think their interests are. And so maybe there just aren't enough candidates out there who who represent them. When we talk about voting in America, the most basic democratic exercise that we've got, we're not just talking about showing up to the polls. We're talking about representation. We're talking about access. It's voting that facilitates our representative democracy. So what does it mean when people feel underrepresented by their options at the polls? Or when getting to the polls is a hurdle in and of itself? I'm Hannah McCarthy. I'm the Capodice. And this is Civics 101, a podcast about the basics of how our democracy works. And today we are talking about the right that isn't a right. The thing that makes this democracy work, even though a lot of people call it broken. We're talking about voting. Hold it. What do you mean the right that isn't a right? Oh yeah, first thing that you gotta know about voting, nowhere is it written that you have a right to vote. The Constitution left it to the states to set voting requirements. The federal government only says that you can't be prevented from voting due to your sex or the color of your skin. Speaking of preventing people from voting, by the way, let's start there, shall we? Voting rights were restricted to free white people. Um, And so, like, going back and thinking about um, who could vote and how different immigrant groups especially, like, tried to gain whiteness under the law. There are exceptions. But for the most part, and until fairly recently, voting was restricted to white people, specifically free white men. Now, property and religion factored in here and there, depending on the state. But free, white, and male was the golden ticket. When I think about the various demographics fighting for the vote historically, I think of it as them fighting against discrimination, not fighting to be considered white. What is Nazita talking about in terms of gaining whiteness under the law? Okay, yeah. A major factor in all of this is the Naturalization Act of 1790. It was our first one that was codified, uh, which in effect made it so that only white, free men could become citizens and vote in the U.S., Um, So I think it's important to think about historically who had access under the law and how did groups make arguments that they were white and especially these immigrant groups who came to the United States. Of course, African-Americans were excluded from the franchise and continue to be so. But I I think it's important to think about um, when we talk about Asian-Americans, when we talk about Latinos, when we talk about Middle Easterners, when we talk about these other natives, you know, I think it's very important to think that, you know, there's been a number of efforts at trying to be classified as white. The framers had this notion of a representative democracy, right? When we say that our government is of, by, for the people, voting is at the core of that. But the history of voting in the U.S. reveals, of course, that many of the people were and continue to be ineligible for that representation. For a long, long time in American history, citizenship and the vote meant proving your whiteness. Black Americans fought this, of course, and argued for their citizenship, civil rights, and enfranchisement as Black Americans. But there were so many other groups who felt forced to argue that 
they could be American citizens because they were free whites. Um, which is why you see like Middle Eastern and North Africans classified as white under the census right now. These days, though, we do talk specifically about the Asian American vote, the Latinx vote, for example. Right. Nazita says that the civil rights movement, that fight on the part of black groups to have their civil rights observed and preserved in the 1950s and 1960s, resulted in a reinforcement of anti-discrimination laws and the need to prove your whiteness in order to be enfranchised began to dissolve. Certainly after the civil rights movement and um, the three major pieces of legislation that came out of the 1965 Civil Rights Acts, right? So the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, Fair Housing Act. Um, so certainly after that period of time, and especially with like the 1970s and seeing like this mobilization of the Latino vote, um, of the Asian American vote and in the 1980s, you do see, right, groups starting to find a positionality in American politics and, and no longer trying to identify with this whiteness because it's no longer... Um, the governing law, right, to, to be part of the franchise. And it's not just that whiteness ceases to be the governing law, right? Nazita says there's something else going on. Also, I think it's important because these groups were finding a voice and were making demands on the democracy, right? They were making demands for representation. And so um, certainly there was a shift, uh, and it, it certainly happened after uh, the civil rights movements for, for non-Black groups. For sure. Demands for representation. Okay, so this is the sticking point again, right? People demand to be properly represented by the people making their laws and governing their worlds. So if these disparate groups have achieved the right to vote and they exercise that right, they should see themselves represented, correct? Maybe. Maybe. If you're in a perfectly balanced electoral system, that might be the case. But a perfectly balanced electoral system we do not have. The framers left a lot of electoral politics to the states. This is Kim Whaley. Hi, I'm Kim Whaley. I'm a professor of law at the University of Baltimore and author of my second book, What You Need to Know About Voting and Why. Oh, Kim Whaley, she talked us through the Constitution back in the day. She did, indeed. And this time she schooled me on how voting actually works in the U.S. and what that means for representation. I'm going to go over the major ones here. I think you can probably guess the big one, Nick. A little something called congressional redistricting. Or to friends of old Elbridge Jerry, gerrymandering. That's called a portmanteau word. Did you know that? Is that what a portmanteau is? A portmanteau is when you like mash together two words and make a new word. Yeah. Hmm. So, so it comes from a mixture of Jerry and salamander. Jerry was governor of Massachusetts during some sneaky district redrawing. And the salamander part, because of the wiggly shape the district ends up having when you bend them around party lines. Um, and one of the things states get to do is decide how to carve up the districts that go to the United States Congress, that represent the Congress. Um, so if you did it logically, you might take a state like Maryland, where I live, and you might put a big plus sign in the middle of it, make, you know, four congressional districts and just assume there's four congressional members of Congress and each quarter gets... The population of each quarter gets one person. And I think we know that is how things did not go. Well, we don't have to carve it up in logical ways like a map maker might do. Let's figure out where all Republicans are or all our Democrats are, and we'll make these salamander-like, distorted, tortured districts that kind of cluster or either cluster or break up 
people from one party. So if you imagine instead of uh, a plus in Maryland, we put circles around all the Democrats. Uh, and they don't have to be uh, necessarily equal in size. You, just, you do have to be equal representation in terms of the numbers of people. Um, but we'll send, we'll carve it up in a way that we just know it's always going to be Democrats living in that city. See, in a lot of states, it's the state legislature that's in charge of drawing the district lines, which means the majority party can draw those lines in favor of their party. Uh, and so even if the whole state has more Republicans in one day, they'll they'll never get a completely Republican um, representation in Congress because of this gerrymandering. So people criticize it legitimately because it's the state lawmakers from a particular party that carve up the districts. And so the politicians are picking their voters instead of the voters picking the politicians. The drawing of districts is not necessarily political. It's just that the way things go is that the people in power are on the right or the left, and that is how the districts end up being drawn. And another thing that draws a big, fat line between the voter and getting represented by the person who really represents you as a person, money. One recent Supreme Court case in particular, called Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission, ruled that corporations have a right to political speech, which means they can spend big, big money on things like ads for their preferred candidate. So now politicians care more about raising money from not individual constituents, but from big corporations and, you know, anonymous donors that can put as much money as possible on the airwaves in support of uh, an issue that the candidate cares about. And what you really need to know here is despite campaign finance reform that has limited the amount of money individuals can give to a campaign, Money has found a way to be very much involved in getting people elected. Why is that a problem for you as an individual? So this is where billionaires have big impacts. They still have their First Amendment rights. They want to hire some fancy firm from New York City to, to spend tons of money flooding the airways waves. They can still do that as individuals. But when it comes to regular people that have bread and butter issues and budgets, that's a problem in our campaign finance system. But because the Supreme Court has treated corporate speech as a First Amendment right, without a constitutional amendment, that can't really change. Congress can't fix that. And there's uh, one last thing that I'm going to mention here when it comes to unevenness in representation. When you go to the polls, you're voting for your delegate, um, the, the elector, the, the delegate to Electoral College. You're not actually voting for the president. Saw this one coming. It always seems to boil down to the Electoral College. So most states, say a state, again, has 10 delegates and say 51 percent of the voters in that state voted for Donald Trump, 49 percent voted for, for Hillary Clinton. All 10 delegates will go to Donald Trump. Uh, so that's a winner take all system. The winner take all electoral college system, which we have mentioned many many times before on this show, means that someone can win the popular vote but lose the election. It also means that a lot of voters are going to end up feeling unheard and unrepresented. And I hate to add potholes to this rocky road to representation, but you know, Hannah, we still have not talked about the barriers to getting to the polls and to actually being able to cast your vote once you're there. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what people don't realize is how much... Um, how much planning goes into and strategy goes into 
um, mobilizing and demobilizing folks to vote. Here's Nazita again. So oftentimes we say to ourselves like, oh, you know, by 2040, you know, America is gonna be majority minority and so it really won't matter. But that's actually not true because, uh, you know, there are, there are factions, there are groups that, there are interest groups who, that are being mobilized to keep people away from the polls, right? Even for instance, like with absentee ballots, the number of ballots that are thrown away because the signatures quote unquote don't match, right, is so incredibly disproportionate um, in certain areas that, you know, are a larger percentage of minorities, right? And, you know, we can't say, uh, we can't draw so many causal arguments as we would like. All we can say is there seems to be an association, but, you know, it does seem like there is a there there when you take the totality of, of the picture together. And we'll talk more about that that trend of actively disenfranchising certain groups of voters and other ways citizens are simply prevented from casting their ballots when we come back from the break. But before that, Hannah and I want to encourage everyone to sign up for our newsletter, Extra Credit. It's fun. It's pithy. It's full of all the stuff that doesn't make it into our episodes. It comes out every two weeks, and it's free. Sign up at our website, civics11podcast.org, or just click the link in the show notes. And if you want to make a donation to support our work, we would love that, too. You can also get that done at civics11podcast.org, or just click the donate link in the show notes. And thank you. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, We are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed.
This is Civics 101. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And I'm Nick Capodice. And before the break, we were getting into something we've been hearing about more and more in recent years. Coordinated efforts to keep certain groups of voters from casting ballots. Yes, and this is after hundreds of years of disenfranchised minorities clawing their way into recognition and giving them a right to vote. There is still a massive effort to stifle their votes. There have been a series of rules and laws put in place to keep people... Um, politicians are at the point where they're picking their voters um, rather than voters picking politicians. This is Andrea Haley, CEO of Vote.org. We're a tech platform that simplifies the process of uh, registering to vote or requesting your absentee ballot. I called up Andrea because things were feeling a little dodgy, Nick. You know, I was looking at this screwy electoral process, efforts at voter suppression, And I'm thinking of those protesters that Nazita mentioned at the beginning of this episode who were like, no, we're not going to bother voting. And I hate to say it, but I started to think, what if they are right? No. Well, no. No. They're not. But I'm going to get to that in a minute. The point is, Andrea runs a site devoted to making it as clear and simple as possible for people across the spectrum to vote. And she was in full acknowledgement Disenfranchisement is real and it's multifaceted. It's voter suppression, but it's also a lack of options. You see people working really hard to overcome odds, those odds, and jump through all of those hoops to make sure their voice is still heard and they can elect leaders who reflect their own value systems. And so um, I think that, you know, we know that young people and uh, people of color have been historically Um, disenfranchised in the voting process um, and have extra barriers to overcome. And there's several of those barriers. There's, you know, the fact that election day is not a holiday. There's um, all the voter ID laws that were brought in, the closing of polling locations um, that are convenient for people, um, misinformation about voting. There's there's a whole series and host of things that keep people um, separated from the right to vote. Is this about when you started to agree with the vote abstainers? Because I'm starting to feel a little down about it myself. Here's what I hadn't factored in, though. For every person too disillusioned, and sometimes rightfully, to vote, there's a voter waiting in the stifling heat or rain just to be heard. Remember in June of 2020, when Georgia rolled out its new voting system and black voters waited in hours-long lines to cast their ballots? The amount of people in line shocking to see in the middle of a pandemic. When we first put up, cars was on both sides of the roads. That high turnout turned into long lines in DeKalb and Fulton counties because of problems with the state's new touchscreen voting equipment. Tuesday, One of the things that I'm really excited about, though, if you just looked at the Georgia primary, is the resilience of the American voter. Because despite long lines, despite people, the last voters voting at 1230 in the morning, um, a lot of people jumped through all those hoops and overcame those barriers. And I think that um, moving forward, one of the things that the American public can start to demand is a voting process um, that makes it easy and convenient for them to have their voice heard. And if there are elected officials who who um, make it more difficult, they can work to fire those people. In other words, think small. Think state and local government, the ones who make the voting laws in your state. Right. Who is in charge of making it easier or harder for you to vote? Are they someone who you get to vote for? And before Election Day even comes, Andrea says, what can you do to make sure those officials help you out? I think that there needs to be pressure 
on officials um, to announce their plan early so that voters can do um, their job, you know, and show up. And I think that it's now on election officials to say um, how they're going to administer this election in a way that imagines enfranchising the highest number of people possible. Like that's literally their whole job is to um, is to administer safe and free and fair elections. So um, it's it's time for them to do that and to let us know what the plan is um, for election day so that we don't see repeats of Georgia um, anywhere else across the country. And I think that that's something that voters can absolutely demand um, from their county officials, from their secretaries of states, you know, demand that that people make it easy. Andrea's thing is basically, okay, yes, there are loads of systems in place to disenfranchise you, especially those of you who have worked so hard over centuries to be granted enfranchisement. Chances are the harder your demographic has worked for the vote, the harder it is going to be for you to exercise your vote. But starting at the state level, showing up and refusing to go away without a ballot or asking for that mail-in ballot early, these are the small steps you can take to push the system to work for you. All right, so I'm hearing that if you want a clear, demonstrable way to make sure that voting means real representation starting with showing up for local races, can make a real difference when you then show up for the big races. But I do think, given all the barriers we've talked about, another obvious step is knowing how to vote, right? Right. And I decided we need a whole episode on that, how to vote. And that is in your Civics 101 feed right now. This episode of Civics 101 was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, along with Nick Capodice. Our team includes senior producer Christina Phillips and producer Jackie Fulton. Our executive producer is Rebecca Lavoie. If you want to learn more about our podcast, sign up for our newsletter, or make a donation to support our work, visit civics101podcast.org. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD, streaming audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring. Full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more.